I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Hello! Hello! Episode 10! Can't believe it. I almost got you a present. Actually, I had all intents and purposes to get you a present for our... 10 show um, celebration, but this week was um, very crazy. Yeah, I can attest to that. Um, (laughs) Well, it was crazy for me as well, so I can only imagine because you have two boys. Well, if uh, the world doesn't know, it was Red Ribbon Week, and as much as I love Red Ribbon Week, it is Red Ribbon Week. Let me say it right. (laughs) It is a dress-up week. And so every day has a theme at school. As a mom, you want your kids to have the full experience and get to participate in everything. As a teacher, you feel like you're obligated to. As a mom (laughs) and a teacher, you are up until 1245 at night making book character costumes. And um, Such a good mom. (laughs) Thanks. So, yeah, it's been a busy week and very I don't know I don't know what to say like chaotic yeah yes so I was unable to get you your (laughs) surprise but it's coming it's coming and I'll have you open it on the next show I suppose because I have like an idea of what I want to get you well now I feel bad because I didn't even think of (laughs) doing something (laughs) like No worries, no worries. It's fine, it's fine. I I mean, once we hit 50, I'll probably do something. Oh, yeah, okay. Like, I feel like that's a milestone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I I had just thought about it, and of course, I stole the idea from other podcasts. Um, but I'm also a terrible gift giver. Oh, I am too. Like, I think of gifts, like gift giving. Uh-huh. Like, I don't think of it as... A, like, I don't know why I don't think of it at a good time or I don't think of the time appropriately or whatever, or I'm always late. And um, I always think it after the fact. Yes. And I'm like, oh, that would have been so right. good. And, and then I forget about it later. So then I'm just like, ah, oh, well, this time it was like a couple of episodes ago. I was like, oh, I'm going to do something. And then wah, wah. <laughs> Look where I am. Well, so. I mean, I didn't do anything, so. Well, it's fine. It's fine. Do you have any updates or news for um, us? Kind of. Okay. So two shout outs okay. today. Oh. Last week, my coworker, Zach, had a birthday. So happy hey, Zach. late birthday, happy Zach. Birthday. And I wanted to shout him out because he's been a very staunch supporter. Yes of us in our podcast yes. like he's Thanks, always Zach. been very encouraging mm-hmm. he listens to it and awesome so i just wanted to give him a little happy birthday hey zach thank you so and then and happy early birthday oh. to my very good friend kimberly oh, who happy has birthday, also kimberly. been yes. a very big supporter huge supporter yes and her birthday is on Wednesday, mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. it's November second. Okay, so I just wanted to give her a little shout out. Well, yay! Too. Happy birthday, Kimberly. So, and last thing. Okay. So, uh, I don't remember what day it was. I was on scrolling through Instagram, <laughs> and our friends at the OK Agritourism. Yes. yes. Um, I saw on their Instagram page they have a. It's um, you can go check out. They have a link 
to uh, where you can go and find like pumpkin patches yes. and mazes. Yes. And so if any of you guys are out there that are interested in that, go check them out on Instagram. To find last minute mm-hmm. fall stuff to do. Yeah, and they I think they have like a list of all the goings on for yes. fall. So the link was kind of weird to just spout out and say. Yeah. But go check out their Instagram. Or Google Oklahoma or Google. Agro-Tourism. Yeah. We are big supporters yes. of them. They are... It's really interesting. I didn't know much about them until maybe a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And I really looked into it. And really, if there is anything nature-related or touristy yeah. that you want to take your friends or family to or to show people, you know, show off Oklahoma, mm-hmm. go to that website I think it is extremely user-friendly. Oh, yeah. And they have a lot of good and fun ideas. Yes, it's very yes. family-friendly. Friendly. <laughs> Family-friendly. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, yeah. But, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to mention that because yeah. Check this, them out. The, the fall season, it, well, the Halloween mm-hmm. season is about to be over. So yes. go ahead and go check them out if you want to go to a pumpkin patch. For sure. Maze. So I just wanted yeah. to... Mention that. I feel like it's a website, even though it says it's a tourism website, it's really for locals. Yeah. um, Because they want Oklahomies (laughs) to come out and support them. And you're supporting your neighbors, you're supporting your state by going out because they're all local. Yeah. So love them. Go support them. Go find them. Go find something fun to do this weekend, Um, especially as we wrap up spooky season. Yeah. So and get ready anyway. for feasting season. Oh yeah, oh, I can't wait. But anyway, that's <laughs> yeah. all the things I had to mention. Okay. Did you have anything? Well, I think we've had a heavy week in Tulsa as of yesterday. Um, of course, we're recording on Friday right now. Yeah. We're a true crime podcast, so I feel like it's up to us to kind of stay in the loop. Broken Arrow specifically had a big oh, tragedy yeah. yesterday, and yeah. there's a big investigation with um. A murder suicide and yeah. six of the victims were children oh, and I read that it was heavy and hard and yeah I read that they were between the ages of one and 13 oh, and I man. just just so I know more information will start to come out about that and mm-hmm. so just keep the surviving family members and friends and your thoughts and prayers yes and yes Suicide is a wicked thing, and it does mm-hmm. wicked, wicked things to people's minds. And I think... Well, not in, just suicide, but mental health. Oh, absolutely. In, in that moment, it's not the person that mm-hmm. those people thought they knew or loved. And um, I don't want to make speculations because I don't know anything right. about it we at all. But, much um, it, but it's just heavy on my heart. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it literally just happened, and it's so close to where exactly. we are. Yeah. So yeah. it's very close to home right now. Exactly. So, so. just kind of keep, keep them in their thoughts, especially... Especially, especially because there's young children involved, right. and I'm, I assume they probably went to school, so they probably oh, had yeah. school age friends who were trying to cope with yeah. this confusion, like why their friend didn't show up at school today. Right. So yeah. Um. But yeah. But other and than that, and just the Broken Arrow community in oh, general. Oh, absolutely. So. We love them. We love them. So anyway. Um. Yeah. Other than that, I got nothing. I don't think getting ready for Halloween. I haven't mm-hmm. bought my pumpkins yet, like for jack o' lanterns. Uh-huh. I asked H if he was going to be carving pumpkins and he <laughs> told me yes and I, and I was like oh okay cool they may be teeny tiny ones <laughs> no so tomorrow oh we have our uh spirit ghost oh bus yeah tour. yes <laughs> how did we forget that 
<laughs> our spirit ghost tour is tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, gonna be. I think it's gonna be fun. Yes, at six thirty, we're going with the Tulsa Spirit Tour. Yes, uh, we have actually been on one together already. Yes. yes, we went on one of their pub crawls oh, in it was May, so much and fun. it was frigidly cold that day. Yeah, well, and I think it was the first one actually. Yes. And so now we're doing their uh, haunted one bus tour. So it's going to be great and fun. If you happen to be there, please say hi to us. We'll be there. We won't be like advertising ourselves, I'm sure. No. We're not like that. But but if you see us, you know, say something to us. Say hi or whatever. We'd We'd love to. We'd love to meet people out in public. So yeah, other than that, I think that's it. I think so. Shall we get started? For sure. Let's do it. Who wants to go first? I don't know. Well, this is apps episode. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have some cheese knots with that? <laughs> yes. Uh, <actually>. right. <laughs> Um, this is episode 10, so we kind of went back to our roots. Yes. It was supposed to be a dark history one, so we decided what better way than to cover some more outlaws. Yes. Yeah. I have to admit that, that outlaws are probably one of my favorite things Absolutely. that we cover. Yes. I mean, I know it's only episode 10, but. Yes. So <laughs> if you want, I'll go first. I don't care. Sure. Or you can go first. I don't, it, either way. I am covering the OG. Oh. The OG machine gun, Kelly. Oh. George machine gun, Kelly. Nice. You know, I don't really know that much about him, to be honest. He is, well, maybe not is so much anymore since obviously he's dead but he was probably your quintessential prohibition Uh, gangster okay kind of kind of his wife propagated and advertised and sold a reputation that he may not have exactly lived up to that's interesting So uh, much like your Ma Barker uh-huh. or even maybe even Bell Star, the myth is way bigger uh-huh. than the truth. Okay. But it's all still fun anyway. Right. So just to get started, I am going to shout out my sources. I've also decided we're going to start linking maybe some of our good books oh, in okay. our bios or in the episode mm-hmm. uh, bios. That way people, if they're really interested in it, they can go and get oh, their yeah. own copy of the books. Absolutely. So my first source is Alcatraz History. Ooh. And I got it from from www.alcatrazhistory.com. Of course, one of our favorite, favorite books, <laughs> 100 I, Oklahoma Outlaws, Gangsters and Lawman by Dan Anderson and Lawrence Yaden. Yaden. Yeah, I don't know which one it I is. Know. I was wondering that too. Lawrence, if you want, shout us out. Let us know. <laughs> Slide into our DMs. Let us know how to say your last name. I apologize. Oklahoma's Most Notorious Cases by Kent Freights. Another great book, especially if you're really into trial history. Uh-huh. Fantastic. And finally, George Machine Gun Kelly from the FBI history page. So let's see. <laughs> George Kelly Barnes. Barnes? Is, Barnes is his actual official God-given name. Oh, okay. A.K.A. Machine Gun Kelly the first. The, the first? The first. Well, you know there's like a famous rapper who oh, goes by Machine oh, Gun oh, Kelly. Oh, okay. Is he a rapper or is he just a rock star? I don't remember. I, I don't know. I honestly. He's married to Megan Fox. I know that. I don't listen to him, so I really don't know. <laughs> Sorry. He was born. Born July 18th of 1895 in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, oh, Memphis. We're going to say Memphis a lot, so Jess is going to get real excited. I love Memphis. A couple of my sources 
said that he was born in 1900, but a majority of them said 1895. So there may be some discrepancies in what year that he was born. Also, some of them said he was born in Memphis. Others said he was born in Chicago. His Alcatraz records do state that he was born in 1895 in Chicago. I'm almost tempted to think that would be the most true. Yeah, because it's on record. Yes, it would be on his prison record. Well, yeah, his prison record. That's kind of my thought there. He died July 18th, 1954 in Leavenworth, Kansas. What was that year? 1954. okay. And so he was quintessential prohibition gangster. He's infamous, though, for kidnapping Charles F. Yershel in July of 1933. Mm. So let's talk about his early life. He was born to George Sr. and Elizabeth Kelly Barnes. He had an uneventful, very typical, very wealthy childhood and upbringing. His father worked in insurance. Oh. So no traumatic brain injuries, no poverty stricken, wasn't... Just a wealthy kid who was bored? Yeah. Maybe? Maybe. His father and George Jr. didn't quite see eye to eye. George Jr. or future machine gun, he caught his father cheating on his mother. Uh, and so that didn't bode well with him. Oh, and so that yeah, really ruined their relationship. I can't say that going over well. No, it didn't. And um, so that kind of ruined their relationship yeah, I for can a while. See that. George Jr. was said to be just, you know, your typical guy jokester. Mm. Uh, he liked to have fun. He had religious training at Sacred Heart Catholic Church. He seemed to be being groomed for high society. Sacred it, Heart Catholic Church. Catholic school, sorry. Because oh, I was like, isn't there like a Sacred Heart Church here in Oklahoma? Or oh, it I'm used sure to be are. or something oh, like I'm that? I'm sure there are. It's probably a pretty popular name. Uh, unfortunately, his mother died when he was in high school, and this caused a bigger rift between his father and his son, or his father and son. His dad quickly married, remarried again, oh. and that didn't go very well yeah. for George. George Jr. dropped out of high school and started bootlegging. <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> prohibition and all he got arrested a few times and sent to jail and then when he started to get when the heat really started to turn on he decided he was going to enroll at mississippi a&m which of course is now known as mississippi state university oh he was going to study agriculture he dropped out after one semester though that did not make papa happy i mean college isn't for everyone it's not for everyone you're <laughs> right you're right uh this did not make his dad very happy and his dad mm-hmm. ended up just kind of washing his hands from him after this so just put even more strain exactly on the relationship so uh school as you said probably was not his thing now did he have any siblings at I don't all i think so oh so no, if he was an me. only child he was on top of it like, all yeah yeah the disappointing exactly. okay all so, right sorry school probably wasn't his thing he was mm-hmm. a really poor student his highest grade was a c oh. and it was in personal hygiene wait that was a class i per- yeah <laughs> Huh, okay. That could have really boosted personal my GPA hy- if I... And how do you get a C in personal hygiene? Uh, that's I'm a good, just wondering. That's questionable right there. <laughs> he was constantly having to work off his demerits due to his bad behavior and attitude. <laughs> George Jr. thought about returning to bootlegging once he was done with college, but that all changed when he met Geneva Ramsey. Geneva. Geneva Ramsey. Oh. Daughter of a Memphis construction millionaire. Oh. So, you know, he he's known in society, and he's right. from a very well-off family, and mm-hmm. so he meets this construction millionaire's daughter. George got a do- job working for his father-in-law after Geneva and George married. They married after one month. Of knowing each other? Yes. Oh, good, good. Yes. So unfortunately, like George really latched on to his father-in-law and they had a great relationship and it was really, he was becoming a really good worker. 
and things were going well for them. And mm-hmm. then his father-in-law was crazily and accidentally killed in a construction act oh, accident. No. He actually ended up blowing himself up with dynamite. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, so that was really crushing to George. And even though George and his mother-in-law, they tried to keep the business afloat, it was just too much for either one of them. And so she ended up selling and George returned to bootlegging. Mm. At the same time, he started to drive a taxi. During this time, he was just struggling to make ends meet. He also had two babies. Well, I guess he didn't have them. His wife had two babies at this time. At age 19, now here's another one of those source con- conflictions. Uh-huh. Some sources say he was 19. Others say he was 24. He was Still unemployed. young, though, either Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was unemployed, separated from his wife and two children. And Separated as in just like... like she left. Like okay. there was a lot of times where she would leave him because mm-hmm. he was bootlegging. She would leave him okay. and then she'd come back. Because he promised to change his ways. And she would come back. And then she would leave again. I just didn't know if you meant like separated by distance because of some reason. Sorry. (laughs) Hit the table. No, they were just separating because of choices that George was making. (laughs) Got it. Okay. So he was arrested for bootlegging and sentenced to six months in a work camp. During this time, he attempted to unalive himself using... Bichloride of mercury. I believe that's how you say it. Bichloride of mercury. This failed, this attempt. Uh-huh. Because, you know, if you ingest mercury, you can die. Uh-huh. He had decided that he was going to unalive himself, and this did not work. So to avoid jail time, he attempted su- for attempted suicide because in that day and age, attempting suicide was against the law as well. Really? He f- yeah, he fled to Kansas City to work in a supermarket. Some reports did say that George leaves with a new girlfriend at this time. So during this period, I believe during his period in jail, his wife goes ahead and divorces him. Oh, okay. Really, I couldn't find any other mention Mm -hmm. of his children after this or even Geneva herself. I don't know if she remarried. I mean, I assume she was definitely a socialite, so she probably did remarry. Yeah. The only other mention of family is when we get to his time in Alcatraz and he Mm -hmm. receives letters from family, but it doesn't specify what family, but honestly, the only family that he had at the time would have been his kids, his kids, possibly his wife could have been writing him. I don't know. Hmm. So anyway, so once he's in Kansas City, George decides it'd be a good idea to embezzle money from the supermarket to purchase a truck and start bootlegging. Yeah. (laughs) So George also decided that he was going to change his name now. Oh, you know, he had a very prestigious, uh, you know, upbringing. Uh-huh. His family was very well-to-do. Right. And, you right. know, they were all still alive. His father was still alive in Memphis. And so to preserve the respectability of his name, <laughs> he decided that he was now going to go by George Kelly. Well, that's... George K. Kelly. Okay. I, I'm not That's sh- very uh, honorable of him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, or no, George R. Kelly. Sorry, not Cal Ke- oh, Kelly. R. Kelly. R. Kelly. Oh, no. Uh, yes. <laughs> so he changes his name from George Kelly Barnes to George R. Kelly so that he can't offend anybody in his well-to-do family. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. I'm surprised he even cared. Right, right. So it's 1927. By this time, he's a seasoned small-time gangster and bootlegger. He's weathered several stints in jail and... He's just, you know, doing his thing, doing uh-huh. that, you know, living his life. In 1928, he is caught again bootlegging whiskey onto an Indian reservation. Oh, man. So, which, of course, we 
know by now from this podcast is yes. a federal offense. Yes, so he was sentenced to Leavenworth, where he met the one and only Frank Jelly Nash. Ah. Now, um, what year did you say this was? 1928. 1928. Yeah. Okay. They built quite the friendship while they were there. They tried to break out of jail together. <laughs> they were unsuccessful. Nash decided to introduce George to his infamous friends, Henry Bailey and Vern Miller, two other quite famous outlaws and bootleggers as well. Um, during this time, I, I don't quite know why... He was sent to a different penitentiary. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that maybe if you saw the four of them together, you're like, hmm, this might not be right. a, good, a good fit for right. us anymore. Let's split them up. Yes, exactly. So George was sent to the New Mexico State Penitentiary, which I don't, I don't know why, but Interesting. that seemed kind of like far away to me. So let's get to the middle part of his life or the, the good stuff. Oh. In 1929, George moves to Oklahoma City to join with bootlegger Steve Anderson. George meets Steve's mistress, Catherine Thorne, a seasoned criminal herself, and all-around party girl. Oh. They fall madly in love with each other. Oh, no. Yes. He falls in love with his best friend's girl. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. George. Catherine, at this point in her life, had already been married three times. She had one daughter. Uh -huh. who she unabashedly sent to her mother in Texas to raise. Well, I mean, why would she want to raise her? It is suspected, a little darkness, it is oh. suspected that Catherine herself killed her third husband. Oh. But the coroner listed it as suicide. <gasps> oh, that's interesting. Dun, dun, dun. This is Black Widow. Mm -hmm. So in 1930, George and Catherine marry after, naturally, George gets out of jail. Uh, Again. <laughs> for the millionth time. Now, George, or due to the relationship with Catherine, I'm, I'm going to go back and forth using last names and first names. I'm sorry. <laughs> due to the relationship with Catherine, George now is going to move from this small-time criminal to public enemy number one. Ooh. Dun-dun-dun. Numero uno. Ooh. Now, this is, this is a process. This is mm -hmm. a process of him moving to this but Catherine sees stars in her eyes. She wants to be a star. She wants her husband to be a star. She's thinking Al Capone. Oh, oh. All she right? wants like big time. She wants infam infamy. Yeah. Infamy is what she wants. Interesting. So she pur purchases George a machine gun and urges him to practice using it. Oh my gosh. She's actually believed to have been the mastermind behind George's criminal career. Is she the one that came up with Machine Gun Kelly? Mm, essentially. She marketed him. Ah. She marketed him. She would pass out so, his spent machine gun shells. And this is what... As like favors? Well, and just be like, look, he's he's got all... He, he fires his machine gun all the time. He's got all these shells. Look at this. And he would pass them out. She would pass them out to people, which well, would kind of cause, I think, a little bit of fear in people. Like, oh my God. Like, like if you don't do what I want, this is exactly, what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen right here. Wow. She was... If anything, smart, I guess. Uh, yeah. Or she seems intelligent. Yeah. She just didn't use her brains, brains for, for good. good. <laughs> that was Jeez. funny. Historians and friends of the couple alike believe Catherine created the image of Machine Gun Kelly. She even masterminded several of George's bank robberies after he had left the company of Harvey Bailey and Vern Miller. When left, when he left on his own, left to his own accord to do uh -huh. things, most people, criminals included, thought that George was really inept and amateurish. It was said oh. that he would often lose his lunch before <laughs> robbing a bank. and Oh, so like he would throw it up? He would like throw up. Yeah. Thinking okay. I'm about to commit a crime and he'd throw up. And so 
So his nerves would really get Absolutely, to him. yeah. So here's a key fact. It makes fat. you wonder. Oh, sorry. No, it makes you wonder, like, how much he really, like, it, how much that was really him and how much of that was her pushing Exa- him. Exactly. Exactly. Because when you look at pictures, and I'll definitely post them on Instagram, he was not a bad looking guy. She was beautiful. Uh-huh. And you're just like, if you would have just made better life choices, uh-huh. then things would have been so different for you. But here's a kooky fact for okay. you. Okay. Tell me. It is often referenced that George would spell out his last name by firing bullets into the building that he was robbing. The fact of the matter is this really only happened one time. <laughs> um, but it was like rumored every time he'd make a robbery or every time he did a crime, he would do this. And oh, so you would like know it was Machine Gun trademark. Kelly. Yes, exactly. That was his calling card. Um, but he only did it one time. That is uh, interesting. Oh, yeah. He robbed banks all over the country with his biggest catch being in Washington State with $77,000 at the time, which today would be about $1,700. Oh. So he got away with quite a bit of money. Yeah. I will say that he, when he did rob, he robbed big, yeah. big amounts and got away with big amounts of money. So, Sounds like it. As I mentioned before, he is most famous for his kidnapping uh-huh. of a really famous... Oklahoma City. All right. So at the beginning, I mentioned that he was famous for kidnapping a really wealthy yes. Oklahoma oil man. I may not have mentioned that part. But oh, he was, he was an oil man? Yes, he was a very wealthy Oklahoma oil man. And we'll get oh. into him in just a second. But so that's what he's most infamous for is this kidnapping. Well, that wasn't his first kidnapping. He attempted a kidnapping in 1930, 1931 of Bernard Phillips. He attempted his first kidnapping in uh-huh. 1930, 1931-ish time uh-huh. with a friend, Bernard Phillips. However, one of the victims died accidentally <gasps> in the process. And so I think they just like abandoned the whole thing. Oh, man. Like, was it another adult or was it? Like it didn't really a... say. It just said one of the victims. I think there were two people that they kidnapped at the same time. Like, two men kidnapped two people at the same time, which I feel like would be extremely difficult. Yeah. And then one of them accidentally dies. Oh, no. And then they just kind of abandon it because that was not what was supposed to happen. Oh, jeez. So um, in 1932 would be the last known bank robbery for Machine Kelly in Tupelo, Mississippi. Oh, Tupelo, (laughs) birthplace of Elvis. I'm just mentioning all of Jess's favorite places (laughs) today. Uh, And he got away with $38,000, which would equate to about $820,000 today. Oh, wow. So in January of 1932, George attempted to add kidnapping again to his list of crimes. Oh, good Uh, It was another flop. Oh, man. Catherine, bless her, reportedly just picked a name out of the phone book. Are you serious? It was Howard Wolverton. Wolverton. Now that's a name. Wolverton. And attempted to secure a ransom. Kidnap this man. Try to get a ransom. However. Because she just picked him out of a phone mm -hmm. book. Yes. They have no idea if he was wealthy or not. Exactly. So however, Wolverton's family couldn't pay the ransom at all. And Wolverton like repeatedly told him, there's like, there's no way they're ever going to be able to pay that amount of money. And so they were like, all right, well, I guess you can go then. They let him go. So where did they kidnap him from? Mississippi or? Oh, no, I didn't write it down. I oh, okay. I write it down. Because, I mean, I'm thinking the 30s, they're just coming off the stock market crashing. Yeah. Uh, they wanted, so they're going to try again. Let's try again. They wanted to Third kidnap this the wealth- charm. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to kidnap a wealthy Fort Worth oilman. So Catherine attempted to get help of what she thought was a couple of corrupt cops. <laughs> <laughs> she just seduced them? Yeah, but they weren't corrupt. They weren't. <laughs> 
Because uh, th- the funny thing is, they thought, oh, we could get on her good side and we could turn her into an informant. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it didn't work out for either one of them. I think they both were just like, this is too hard work and they both just kind of left. Or yeah. Catherine was like, they want me to be an informant? Pa! No. And like left or whatever. There's no so, money in being an informant. Well, exactly. And so <laughs> both, this was kind of abandoned by everyone. Oh, so man. now we get to 1933. In July of 1933, Catherine and George, they're in Oklahoma. Catherine is from Oklahoma. She's an Oklahoman. Oh, she is? Or I don't know if she's in Oklahoma by birth, but she, that's where she resided most of her life. Did they say uh, which part? No. Okay. Just, I was just when curious. she comes into the story, she's in Oklahoma City, and then at the end of the story, she returns to Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. All right. So I was just curious. Oh yeah, I should I should do some more in looking in on her. I didn't look in as closely on her as I probably could have or should have. <laughs> so just somebody to do for another time, I think. Yeah. Uh, George and Catherine hatch a plan of kidnapping Charles Urschel. Who hmm. is Charles Urschel? You say? Well, yeah. Who is that? He's got friends in high, high places. Oh. He is a very infamous Oklahoma oilman. Okay. He hung with the likes of the Overholsers. Oh. The Kirkpatricks. Oh. Very big names. Yes. People yes. in Oklahoma society and early Oklahoma history. Uh-huh. So he was up there. He was up there. To the point that in the 30s, uh-huh. he was not touched by the Depression. Ah. Oh. Not touched at all. This is another kooky fact. Kidnapping was very popular during the 30s. And why? Why would it be? Because most people, the most normal Americans, didn't uh-huh. have a dime to their name. Right. But kidnapping was extremely popular during this time. Uh, it was thought it was to be safer than trying to rob a bank because most banks were able to carry guns. In right. Not to mention most banks probably didn't even have that much money to begin with. Yeah. So they thought, oh, if we kidnap people, then we must be getting more money. Hmm. And it wasn't until the kidnapping and later murder of the Charles and Ann Lindbergh's baby that it wasn't even a federal offense. Like kidnapping, you oh. wasn't a federal offense. So you could, you know, maybe go for a couple of months for kidnapping somebody and serve a little bit of time and go home. Oh, wow. So it, yeah, so it was, it took, unfortunately, it took a kidnap and a murdering of a baby for oh, that's awful. the government to step in and be like, oh, that's kind of a bad deal. We probably shouldn't let people do this. Ugh. So on the evening in July in 1930, uh-huh. While sitting on a porch playing bridge, Mr. and Mrs. Charles Urschel with their friends, Mr. and Mrs. Walter Jarrett, hear a noise. They're in a screened-in porch Ooh. in downtown Oklahoma City. In fact, kooky fact again, they lived in Heritage Hills. <gasps> oh. But so we over- probably drove past their house when we went to the Overholster Mansion. Oh, I wonder if there's a way we could find out I which know. one it was. We'll have to see, yeah. Anywho, sorry, I digress. Sorry. So they hear a noise, and it's 11.30, midnight-ish, in between uh-huh. there, and they're kind of like, what's that noise? Yeah, I'm sure it's not something like a um, that you'd be used to right, hearing. Right, exactly. It ends up being Mrs. Urschel's 16-year-old daughter from the, her previous marriage. Okay. She just kind of comes in. She had had like a late night, like a party or get together or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so she went up to bed. A few minutes later, they hear more noises. Like another Ooh. car pulls up and some more noises and they're just kind of pause and they're like, huh, I wonder what that noise is. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, George Machine Gun Kelly busts through in. He has his machine gun ready to go and he has two other men each of them with pistols, and they enter this Oh, I'm sure that was frightening. When they walk in, they instantly, all of them, threaten to blow everyone's head off. Of course they do. Mm -hmm. Yes. The hostages were (laughs) non-cooperative. Which, okay, in my opinion, 
excuse my word language here, but this is ballsy. Yeah. There's a guy with a freaking machine gun uh-huh. and uh, two other guys with pistols and you're not going to cooperate? Like, what do, What did you have on you? What do you, what do you think those bridge cards were going to do anything? Well, who knows? Maybe maybe they were armed too. What? Maybe they were. It doesn't say that they were and I don't think they were because what ends up happening is they get kidnapped. These guys get kidnapped. Two guys get kidnapped. Oh. Oh, they kidnapped two people? Yes, yeah, so I'll get there. Sorry. So the gang of men, George and his two henchmen, they keep asking, which one of you is Urshel? We just want Urshel. Which one? Well, neither of the men are going to fess up to it. Well, yeah, no one's going to fess up to that. And they didn't do any homework. They don't know what he looks like. So uh, let's just take them both. Oh, good grief. <laughs> so they escape in a Chevy sedan. They cover them in with a tarp and search them. And during this, they find Mr. Jarrett's ID along with $51. So they decide they're just going to take the money and they <laughs> drop Jarrett off on the side of the road. <laughs> I guess it's lucky that's all they did. Yeah, yeah. The gang takes Mr. Urschel to a ranch in Texas and holds him for $200,000 ransom oh man today that's worth five million nine hundred thousand dollars oh my gosh um a ransom letter was sent to tulsa a tulsa businessman and friend of urschel his name was john catlett catlett delivers the letter to the fbi in oklahoma city and so here Catherine's dream of having a front page main man oh man is coming to fruitation she's so excited every newspaper and radio in the united states is reporting on the urschel kidnapping because this is happening less than a year after the Lindbergh kidnapping oh man so like i said it only been a year and the fbi was still really young they were instantly involved in speaking with mrs urschel but they were not the fbi today yeah. Lots of mistakes. Lots of flubs were made. And can you blame them? They were still in their infancy. I mean, they were barely maybe 10 years old. Yeah. If that. Because the first words out of their mouth to Mrs. Urschel was, the moment Mr. Urschel is released, we'll go to work. <gasps> oh, yeah. That's comforting. What are you doing in... in what are you doing in the meantime? What, yeah. What are you doing now? Like, I don't understand. At the same time, Harvey Bailey, Vern Miller, and your pretty boy Floyd... <laughs> We're still gallivanting around Oklahoma, robbing banks and stores and right, people. Right, right, yeah. Getting um, into trouble. So all this is happening. No one has any idea who the kidnappers are. When they're like, well, who could it be? They're like, I don't know. And even when Jarrett comes back, he has no idea who they are. Do you think Catherine Kelly's dreams had come true? Like, they didn't even know. Yeah, I have a question for you. Okay. Is this kidnapping what put him at the public enemy number yes. one? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Mrs. Urschel and the Jarretts, they're looking through all these mugshots. They have no idea who any of these people are. This detective from Fort Worth kind of comes forward. Mm -hmm. And he has an interesting story. And I'm going to read it from the 100 Oklahoma Outlaws, Gangsters, and Lawmen. Okay. Because I just think the way that Dan and Lawrence put it is just really good. Okay. This man's name was Ed Weatherford. And he was a detective out of Fort Worth. And he had kind of picked up on some of what was going on. He was Mm -hmm. starting to kind of connect some dots. Mm -hmm. So Weatherford had befriended Catherine Kelly. She believed through a ruse he created that he was a dirty cop, more inclined to inform her of police investigations than to actually investigate her. Mm -hmm. Weatherford knew of her mother's living arrangements with an old rancher, Robert Boss Shannon, outside Paradise, Texas. Hmm. Weatherford considered the ranch a prime location for a hideout. At one time, Kelly had been the subject of interest in the Kansas City massacre. As such, the FBI had some interest in his whereabouts. Eventually, however, with little or no evidence showing that Kelly was in any way involved in the Kansas City trouble, the FBI lost interest and canceled surveillance of the ranch. 
Nonetheless, the time spent on and around the property gave Weatherford a pretty good feel for the place. As it happened, on July 23rd, one day after Urschel was taken at gunpoint from his Oklahoma City home, the KG detective was visiting Catherine at her <laughs> Fort Worth residence. His knowledge of the ranch and its en- environs of red clay dirt helped to catch the unwary mole in a lie. Oh. The reason Weatherford was invited to visit Machine Gun Kelly's squeeze that <laughs> Sunday morning is either not known or not talked about, but it likely had nothing to do with prayer. Weatherford <laughs> made small talk with Catherine as the two casually visited on her front porch. She had been out of town for a while. In St. Louis, she said. Oh. When it mm. came time for the detective to bid farewell, she accompanied him on the short walk down her driveway passing right by her car. As they did so, Weatherford cast a sideways glance at the vehicle, noting that its wheels were encrusted in red dirt, a red clay not found in St. Louis, Missouri. A harder look, and Weatherford saw an Oklahoma newspaper lying on the front seat, plastered with news of the Urschel kidnapping. Oh. Weatherford put two and two together and was convinced the Kellys were the kidnappers the FBI was looking for. He passed on his evidence to the Dallas office of the FBI. They turned in the information to special agent in charge, Gus Jones, who had set up a command post in the Urschel home. Jones did nothing with the information, choosing instead to dismiss it as the ramblings of a city cop hoping to play with the big boys. Oh my goodness. There's so much wrong with that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So it it sounded like she was upset that he didn't show more interest in her. Is that what you said? It doesn't say. It's hard to say. It's almost like there was alluded that there could have been some type Uh of romantic relationship between the two. Yeah. But it's never spoken about. It's never been written about or confirmed or denied or whatever you want to put it. And so because she was using her womanly ways, Uh I suppose, to you know, try to get a corrupt cop on her side while he at the same time were using his manly ways <laughs> to get an informant out of a gangster's wife. Uh-huh. I don't think it really worked out for either one of them. Here he is. He is like, you know, nailing the hammer. Or nailing I the hammer. mean, I think it's, I'm not smart enough to have put those things together. Right, I wouldn't have been either. Because I, I wouldn't think. have been like, why is there red dirt on the wheels? Right. I, mean, I wouldn't have thought I wouldn't have even thought anything it. about it. Yeah. Exactly. So while this is going down in Fort Worth, Mrs. Urschel and the Jarrett's, like I said before, going through pictures and pictures of mug, mug shots trying to identify the kidnappers. There is a mugshot of Kelly because... Hello, he's been in and out of jail. Right. It was lost. How convenient. (laughs) (laughs) It was lost. And so they never came across his because they had seen his face. Right. He didn't cover it when he went to kidnap them. But they couldn't recognize the other two guys that were with him, I guess. I guess. I guess not. I guess not. Maybe they haven't um, been arrested During yet. this time, too, after that kind of encounter with um, Catherine Kelly, Detective Weatherford loses contact with her after this. And Catlett and Urschel's friend, E.E. E. Kirkpatrick, start to gather the money in order to pay the ransom. The ransom letter is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Are you going to read it for I'm going to read it for you. So on July 26th, J.G. Catlett, a wealthy oil man of, Oklahoma, of Tulsa, and he was a good friend of Mr. Earnshaw, received a package through Western Union. It contained a letter written to him by Mr. Urschel 
requesting Mr. Catlett to act as an intermediary <laughs> intermediary for his release. A personal letter from Mr. Urschel to his wife and a typewritten note directed to Mr. Catlett demanding that he proceed to Oklahoma City immediately and not communicate by telephone or otherwise with the Urschel family from Tulsa. The package also contained a typewritten letter addressed to Mr. E.E. E. Kirkpatrick of Oklahoma City, which read in part, Immediately upon receipt of this letter, you will proceed to obtain the sum of $200,000 in genuine used federal reserved currency in the denomination of $20 bills. Genuine. Genuine. <laughs> genuine. He doesn't want the counterfeit stuff. No. It will be useless for you to attempt taking notes of serial numbers, making up dummy package, or anything else in the line of attempted double cross. Bear in mind, Charles F. Urschel will remain in our custody until money has been inspected and exchanged and furthermore will be at the scene of contact for payoff. And if there should be any attempt at any double XX crossing, I'm assuming, I don't know why you just couldn't write it. <laughs> It will be he that suffers the consequence. Run this ad for one week in Daly, Oklahoma. For sale, 160 acres land, good five-room house, deep well, also cows, tools, tractor, corn, and hay. $3,750 for quick sale. Terms, box number, blank. You will hear from us as soon as convenient for inser after insertion of ad. <laughs> So, <laughs> insertion of that. Right. So, um, did someone at the newspaper um, mm -hmm. mess up? <laughs> so, so clearly, in my mind, they must be in Oklahoma somewhere. If they're going to be able to receive the daily Oklahoman every day to check to see if this ad's in there right. for a whole week. Right. So, the ad was inserted. And on July 28th, an envelope addressed to the daily Oklahoman, Box H807, was received. It was from Joplin, Missouri. A letter to Kirkpatrick read in part, You will pack $200,000 in used, genuine Federal Reserve notes of $20 denominations in suitable, light-colored leather bag and have someone purchase transportation for you, including berth, aboard train number 28, the Sooner, which departs at 10.10 p.m. via the MKNT lines for Kansas City, Missouri. You will ride on the observation platform where you may be observed by someone at some station along the line between Oklahoma City and KC, Missouri. If indication are all right, somewhere along the right of way, you'll have, you will observe a fire on the right side of track facing direction train is bound. That first fire will be your cue to be prepared to throw bag to track immediately after passing second fire. Well, that was very specific. Well, was there more? Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. It's like the longest ransom notes ever. <laughs> Remember this. If any trickery is attempted, you will find the remains of Urschel, and instead of joy, there will be double grief. Oh For someone gosh. very near and dear to the Urschel family is under constant surveillance and will likewise suffer for your error. If there is the slightest hitch in these plans for any reason whatsoever, not your fault, you will proceed on into Kansas City, Missouri, and register at the... I'm about to butcher this name. <laughs> See, I, I don't want to say it because I'm afraid. Muhlenbach, Muhlenbach Hotel under the name of E.E. E. Kincaid of Little Rock, Arkansas and await further instructions there. 
The main thing is do not divulge the contents of this letter to any law authorities for we have no intention of further communication. You are to make this trip Saturday, July 29th, 1933. But they sent that to the Daily Oklahoman? Actually, yeah, it arrived at the Daily Oklahoman. But they don't want any law enforcement to be... But they sent it to a newspaper. Uh, That's interesting. (laughs) So... So here's kind of a cookie fact. The rail line that he was asked, that they were asked in the in the ransom letter to go on, this was actually the very route that had been used by the Dalton and Doolin gangs. Oh. And Al Spencer also used it and Al Jennings also used it. So in order to not lose the money to potential highwaymen, Kirkpatrick actually asked Catlett to help him with this because they were afraid that this line was very well known for being held up. Uh-huh. So each man was to carry an identical Gladstone bag, one with the money and the other one was filled with newspapers. They collect this money. They get it all uh-huh. together. They actually did record the serial numbers down. They made the numbers traceable. Uh-huh. They recorded them all down. They put them in the bag. They got all the money together. They got two bags. One had newspapers. One had cash in it. And they go to the train. They get on. They get the tickets. They get on the train. However... While trying to take the train, the conductor had to add two additional cars because there were so many people that wanted to get on the train. Why do you ask? Well, <laughs> you see, the World's Fair was in Chicago and everyone was oh. trying to get to, on this train to Kansas City, then on to Chicago. So the time for departure was postponed. Oh. They make it there. They're kind of late. They follow, uh-huh. the, they follow the instruction. It wasn't their fault that right? they were late. They're at the hotel and there's a knock at the door and it's a bellboy and he has a letter. And the letter says, owing to unavoidable incident, unable to keep appointed, we'll phone you about six, signed C.H. Moore. And that was the agreed name that Kelly was going under. Oh, okay. And just like the the Kincaid was mm-hmm. Kilpatrick's name. Okay. They They're end alias. Up, yeah. So about 5.30 on Sunday, July 30th, Kirkpatrick receives a telephone call from a party who asks if he's Mr. Kincaid. He says that he is. He said, this is more. Did you get my telegram? Kirkpatrick says, yes. Kirkpatrick is then instructed to leave the hotel in a taxi cab and proceed to the LaSalle Hotel. Oh. He was going to walk a block or two around there. He requested permission to be accompanied by Catlett. He was denied instantly. Mm. So according to Kirkpatrick, he takes the bag with the $200,000 to the LaSalle at about 6 p.m. He walks west. He gets no more than half a block when he observes a man approaching him. And when he reaches Kirkpatrick, he says, Mr. Kincaid, I will take that bag, reaches out and takes it. Kirkpatrick states like, I want some instructions. I must telephone someone who's very interested immediately. And the man who had taken the bag told Kirkpatrick to return to the hotel and Ursha would be returned within 12 hours. Oh, okay. And so, and it happened. He was. Within 12 hours, Ursha is dropped off in Norman where he very calmly walks up to a taxi, gets into a taxi, drives him to his house in Oklahoma City. Oh, man. I wonder how much that taxi cab costs. I know, right? $200,000. Sorry, I didn't mean... Well, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. So he's gone for eight days total. Okay. Well, did he... Did it say, did he look like he was in good health? Yeah. Like, he just... He was perfectly fine. I think he had been treated well. He had been blindfolded most of the time. It says that he was very sharp, though, because he, because once you're blindfolded, 
his other senses started to take over, he uh-huh. made sure to touch everything he was around. Oh. Because he wanted his fingerprints everywhere. Yeah. He made sure to listen to any sounds that he could tell police and FBI. These are sounds that I constantly hear. Or like every, uh-huh. you know, few any minutes bit of or every hour or yeah. something, this would happen. Uh, so okay. Smart man. Yes, for sure. Obviously, Catherine and George are now significantly richer. Right. And they decide that it is too hot for them to stay in Oklahoma, (laughs) Kansas, or Texas. So they start state hopping all over the United States. Chicago ends up being their main hub. That's funny. I don't know why, but maybe it's one of the crime capitals of the U.S. So maybe (laughs) they just thought that they fit in there. They had some friends that would keep them there. Uh They decided to do the tell-all by dyeing all their hairs. Oh. So they dyed their hair. Um, but they enjoyed an extremely lavish lifestyle. I mean, why would you not? Eventually, they ended back up in Memphis with their friend, John Tickner. And during this time, the FBI goes to that ranch in Texas that uh-huh. Weatherford had told them about yeah. earlier. Um, and they raid it. They arrest some conspirators while they are there. And we'll go over that. Uh, the bills from the ransom did have some traceable numbers on them. Well, they started to figure out who it was. Oh. And bingo, exactly like Weatherford said, the nationwide search for George Machine Gun Kelly was underway. And now at this point, he becomes America's most wanted. Yeah. Number one. Public enemy. Yes, public enemy, number one. Fast forward some time, you know, they're partying, uh-huh. having a good life, living their life, doing their thing yeah. <laughs> in the 30s. Every, nobody's got money, but they got plenty of money. Uh-huh. They're at their friend, the Tickners. They're at their house, just living their high life, whatever. And very early in the morning, the Memphis Police Department and the FBI surround the house mm. with a very violent forced entry. They enter the house. And happen upon a very, very hungover George <laughs> Kelly, still in his pajamas, oh, where nice. he says infamously, G-Man, don't shoot. <laughs> he was extremely hungover from the night before. They, they, were, they, were, living, they were doing the thing. They uh-huh. were they're living their life. And Catherine was actually still asleep. Both of them were instantly arrested and extradited back to Oklahoma. <laughs> I told you that there were people, conspirators from Texas. Right, yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. did I mention that the ranch that they had been on had been Catherine's mother's ranch? No. Okay, well, it was her ranch. And uh, yeah, she was the one that was arrested. And her husband. Her mom. Her mom was. her mother. Catherine's mother was arrested. Oh, Her stepfather was arrested. And I believe one of her stepbrothers were arrested as conspirators. Interesting. Uh, The mother told them all. Keep your mouths shut. But her stepfather told the FBI everything. I mean, I wouldn't want to take the fall. There were, I mean, all their partners were being, you know, locked up. And there had been roadblocks all over the state of Oklahoma Uh and in Texas trying to catch them. And they didn't Uh catch them because they weren't there. Catherine's mother and stepfather and their friend Albert Bates were all put on trial. And then, of course... Uh, We'll find out later what (laughs) happens there. So after arresting George and his wife, Catherine, a raid was done on another friend's ranch Uh that they had where they had incidentally hidden $73,250 of the ransom money. Did the friends know? I don't know if the friends knew or not. It didn't say. So it kind of put that nail right there in the coffin. Yeah. 
that they had that money. So in October of 1933, Catherine's stepfather and mother received life sentences for their roles as conspirators in the kidnapping. Oh, wow. Alan Bates, who was a conspirator, also received one. Now, this poor guy, I've mentioned him a few times, Harvey Bailey. Uh He just happened to be at the ranch. Wrong place, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. They hand him out a life sentence, too. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's Most, what you get for being friends with Right, criminals. exactly. Exactly. Catherine and George were each also given life sentences. Okay. Catherine was outraged. <laughs> she is quoted as saying, anyone could have been convicted in this court. If I brought my dog in here, he would have gotten a life sentence too. And... Most historians believe that that is funnily true because it seemed very corrupt. A lot of uh-huh. the evidence had been compromised. The jury was tainted. Judge, The judge had comments that made the jury biased uh-huh. because, I mean, not that they weren't guilty. They were yeah. guilty. But did they get a fair trial? Probably not. Yeah. And in today's time, I don't think that they all would have gotten these life sentences. No, not for but, that. Yeah. And even people like, I know, like aiding and abetting is still a serious crime, but not life sentence worthy of a crime. Well, Catherine is packed up and sent to a federal prison in Cincinnati. And George is sent to his old friend, Leavenworth Prison in Kansas. (laughs) However, he was extremely arrogant. He was famous. Yeah. He was the most famous criminal in America at this point. And now Uh he was going to Leavenworth and he was going to act like he was the most famous. He was very boastful. He told everyone that would listen to him that he was going to break out of there by Christmas. And he was going to go break his wife out and they would get to spend Christmas in 1933 together. (laughs) Maybe it was kind of a way to uh, build up his reputation Mm -hmm. so that people wouldn't mess with him. It didn't work because the prison was like, oh, you going to break out? You want to break out? We'll send you to Alcatraz. (laughs) So he got sent to Alcatraz. In August of 1934, George has moved to The Rock. He is prison number AZ-117. Oh. So he is one of the very first inmates at Alcatraz. Yeah. During his time there, he boasted about all these crimes and murders that he committed. Didn't once commit any. There's no said murder on any of his records. Oh, interesting. That he committed any murders. Well, you know what's Except funny? for maybe the accidental guy that they tried to kidnap and that guy accidentally died. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is... You know, a lot of these guys, you know, it it's like you said, they, they're famous, like they're, what am I trying to say? Like their stories are more outrageous than they actually yeah. were. Oh, exactly. But what's funny is a lot of these guys weren't the ones who were making these stories. Yeah, no. But he's over here going, oh, yeah, I murdered all these people. And then you have pretty boy Floyd over here saying, like, I wasn't I even didn't there. I didn't anybody. I wasn't there. <laughs> these guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Interesting. So, the warden Johnson thought Kelly was just the model inmate. He held many jobs while he was there. One of his jobs was an altar boy at the prison chapel. Oh, interesting. He also was one of the laundrymen. He also served as administrative roles in the industry's office. Um, he served his time very quietly. Yeah, it was said. This is where we kind of get into him, other his family. Uh-huh. But he became very depressed when he received these letters from his family. And they never really knew what the letters said or uh-huh. why he seemed so depressed. Huh. But he always would send his quota of letters. So he was always writing back, even uh-huh. if these people were depressing him. It makes you wonder what was in them. Right. And so that makes me wonder, were they really from his children? Uh-huh. And maybe they didn't want to have anything to do with them, and he just kept... I We do know that some of his letters were to Urschel. 
uh-huh. Charles Urschel, because he felt a ton of remorse for the crime. Oh, well, that's something. Yes. He apologized to Urschel, and he even asked for help with possible parole or oh, lightening his sentence, but Urschel never once answered any of his letters. I mean, I don't know if I would. Yeah, I don't know if I want would to too. either. I don't know how forgiving, I guess, I could be. Yeah. If it was me. Right, exactly. I would like to think I'd be able to forgive, but mm-hmm. not forget. Yeah. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm that humble. Right, exactly. I'd like sense. to think that I'd be like, I forgive you, but don't ever talk to me again. Right. <laughs> you know, but I don't know if I could even do that. I'd be like, no, I want you to think the rest of your life that I hate you, but I really do forgive you. But I don't know if I want you to know I forgive you. Yeah. It's like, That's is how I that just as bad? Though? Right. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> so also George was very adamant that he thought his wife and his partners were all treated extremely harshly, that he should have been the one with the life sentence. No one else should have gotten it. Well, I don't know about his wife. She kind of seems to be the mastermind I think for she all of it. it probably too as well. Um, in 1951, George returns to Leavenworth. I don't think he was at that point a threat mm-hmm. to go anywhere. On July 18th in 1954, George Machine Gun Kelly dies of a heart attack on his 59th birthday. On his 59th yes. birthday? He's one of those people that dies on his birthday. That is crazy. In Happy 19- birthday, I guess. Right? Oh, man. Worst um, gift although ever. Although in my mind, I'm like, that's so perfect. Like, you are so perfect. Like, your life was so, like, your lifespan was so perfectly round. Yeah. That's but. the science teacher in you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so to wrap this story up, in 1958, Catherine is released from prison. What year was that? 1958. 1958. Uh, she returns to Oklahoma and takes a job as a bookkeeper in one of Oklahoma's Oklahoma City's hospitals. Interesting. And that is where I will end the story huh. of the OG Machine Gun Kelly, oh, George wow. Machine Gun Well, Kelly. interesting. Nicely done. Thanks. Huh. So, yeah. I think we should go ahead and end that oh, in you- the episode here. Okay. Because, okay. I mean, it is already kind of long, which okay. is fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we can pick back up next week with my story. Okay. Because well, I don't know. It's late for one thing. Should we thing. give the people a preview of what your story is about? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> My coworkers think I'm evil, so why not portray that on the podcast? Oh, no, I'm just evil? kidding. Um, they haven't They think me I'm yet. mean. Oh, they haven't met I'm me talking yet. to you, Zach. <laughs> they haven't met me yet, have they? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, my episode will be Cattle Annie. And little britches. <laughs> and hopefully I when I no say. I have no idea who those people are. Well, hopefully when I say little britches, another word won't come Oh, out. Jessica, we're going to be making it explicit. I'll need to uh, punctuate. Punctuate? Or uh, not punctuate. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> Enunciate? Yes, that's the word I'm looking <laughs> Punctuate is what you do to a sentence. Well, you do need to punctuate. Yes. Because, you know, punctuation can change everything. Exactly. <laughs> but enunciate is what I was going okay. for. So, All right. Little Britches and Catalani. Oh, I can't wait. Next I, week. I have no idea who either one of those two people are. So I'm really, really I excited. I think you'll like them. It. Well, I well, think. With a name like Little Britches. Well. Does he have a friend named Baloo? Well, they're girls. 
They're oh. two girls. Oh. That were friends. So no, no. And became outlaws. No Black Panther? No King Louis? No. Sorry. Oh, what kind of sorcery is this? <laughs> it's not a Disney movie. Ah. <laughs> wah, wah. No singing. <laughs> but there is dancing. Oh, oh. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Anyway. All well, right. Well, tell them where to find us. Come on, guys. Come on down. Please like and subscribe yes. on your favorite podcast. If you would so please do so, we would love you forever. We already love all of you forever. Yes. But if you would be so inclined to love us back by giving us some stars, liking and following us on all of your favorite podcasts. Yes. Uh, streaming platforms, Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, Google, etc., etc., etc. We are on Instagram at Curious Cousins OK. We are also on Facebook at Curious Cousins Podcast OK. Curious Cousins OK Podcast. Someday <laughs> I will get it correct. We are on Twitter at Curious Cousins OK, but Cousins is spelled C U Z N. Email us anything, show suggestions, love, hate mail, but please be nice if you have to send it in. Um, listener tales, show you suggestions, tell them our email? just weird oh. things at Curious Sorry. Cousins OK at gmail.com. I spoke too soon. Uh-huh, I apologize. All right, so just just tell them what to keep it. <laughs> keep it cookie and spooky. Bye. Bye. <laughs>